Well, good morning. Welcome to Apostles Houston Online. I'm lead pastor David Cumby. And again, just want to thank you for joining us as we worship together this morning. If you would, wherever you are, if you would stand as we read together from our gospel this morning. Our gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 39. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And it tells us this is what Jesus prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this word, for the good news. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for his prayer. Lord, a prayer of submission, a prayer where he turned and trusted in you and said, not his own will, but yours be done. Lord, I pray today as we come to your word that we remember um, who we are, and Lord, because of that, we know how to live, and that, Lord, we live according to your will for our lives, your good and perfect will. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past several weeks, we've been uh, talking about the fact that to know how to live, we really have to know who we are. To, to know how to live beyond the walls in the midst of everyday life, we have to know exactly who we are in Jesus. And to help us with that, we've been looking at this incredible letter of First Peter. And in First Peter, what he tells us is he tells us who we are in Christ. He says that we are chosen exiles that we're chosen by our Heavenly Father, that we are loved by Him, that, that He gave His Son for us, we're precious to Him, and that actually uh, he, he loves us so much that He invites us into life with Him. We are chosen. And then He also says that we're exiles. We're, we're those who are not at home in this world, that, that we live here, but that we're not from here, that we are sojourners, kind of passing through this world. And so that's, that's who we are, and, and that helps us know how to live. And that's the question, how now do we live as followers of Jesus? And that's the question that Peter is turning to here in his letter. And so I want to invite you to, to grab a Bible or, or open up a Bible online to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is what Peter writes. He said, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, the truth is, when we hear things like I just read, in particular, wives submit, uh, a lot of us get uncomfortable. You know, passages like this 
uh, lead people, on one hand, to dismiss whole parts of the Bible. Or they might be tempted uh, to twist its meaning and misuse it. And I just want to encourage us, as we, as we dive into what Peter has written here, that we don't need to be uncomfortable. You know, as we consider these words, we don't need to skip it, and we don't need to misuse it either. Uh, we really need to think hard about what Peter is writing here. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to, to help us understand. And so as we get started here, I, I just want to say there's two things that we need to remember in, in order to understand a passage like this. And the first is this, that Scripture is good and true. Scripture is good and true. We believe that the Bible is God revealing himself to us. And we believe that the God revealed in the Bible is is a just and loving God. And so what it says should be just and loving. And so when we understand it correctly, it will will be revealed as just and loving. And if it's not, then we've misunderstood it. So the first thing we have to remember is that Scripture is good and true. The second thing is this. We have to remember Peter's original readers. Those to whom this letter was actually written in the first century. You see, Peter is writing to a people who are living in a world with rules they did not make and that they cannot change. Let me say that again. Peter is writing to a people who are living in a world with rules they did not make and that they cannot change. This is the Roman Empire, in other words. It's a harsh, brutal, totalitarian regime that offered no individual protections or rights to most of those living within its borders. And so originally, it wasn't written to people living in a free and democratic society. And so Peter writes this letter to followers of Jesus trying to live well, to live out their faith in the midst of everyday life. And he's addressing the everyday lives of two specific groups here in chapter 3, wives and husbands. And so I want us to look at these two groups, at wives first and then husbands. And then I want us to end by looking to Jesus, because that really is where Peter is leading us here in chapter 3. So first, let's look at these two groups. The first one is wives. So first, in these verses, Peter's specifically addressing Christian wives who have unbelieving husbands. And that's really important that we understand who these women are. These are women who have come to know and follow Jesus, who in his earthly ministry honored and dignified women. This is a group of women who are gathering together throughout the week with other followers of Jesus to worship, to pray, to break bread without their husbands. Because remember, their husbands don't believe. So they're not worshiping with their husbands. And in their culture, this was, this was a taboo. This was something you didn't do because it threatened the social order of things and it threatened their husband's reputation. And so this, in other words, is women worshiping Jesus in a system that's stacked against them. And so maybe when we come to something like this, like, like me, there's a part of you that wishes, man, Peter, would you just outright condemn the unjust treatment of women in this cultural moment. But again, we have to remember that Peter's writing to an entire group of people, these women who are living in a world with rules they did not make and that they cannot change. And so this is why he doesn't kind of take a direct frontal approach. He doesn't come right at it. What he does do is he he comes at it in an incredibly subversive and powerful way. And it'd be easy for us to miss this. So I want us to talk through what is actually that Peter is saying when he says to submit. Peter writes, wives, 
In the same way, submit to your husbands. In the same way. What does he mean? In the same way as what? He means in the same way that he's just outlined in chapter 2. For followers of Jesus in society, they're living every day as slaves or servants. And there he defines what it means to submit. To submit means to yield to the authority of another. That's the simplest kind of biblical definition. It means to submit to the authority of another. And why should they submit? This is what he explains in chapter 2. Really, there's three aspects. He says, first, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. In other words, do this for the Lord's sake. It's a submission to your true master, Jesus, not to any earthly authority. Second, in verse 18, he says, submit in reverent fear of God. Live in the fear of God. Live with God in mind, in other words. Know that he knows you and that he sees you and he cares for you and that you ultimately are accountable to him over any other authority. And then the third thing he points out is that we should do all of this. We should submit in in a way that we live well before others. Live such good lives, he says. So in other words, submission comes with the call to do good And even if that good leads to our suffering. And so we're to yield ultimately to God above all authorities and do what God says, even at great cost to ourselves. And so that's how Peter defines what it means to submit. In other words, Peter's affirming the free will and dignity of slaves first and then of these women as well. Even though in the world they're under this unjust system, they're not free. In this world, they're trapped by their circumstances, but in Christ, they are elevated and addressed by Peter as citizens of God's kingdom. And so this would have been incredibly radical and encouraging to those uh, in Peter's day. And so that's what he's saying to wives. In the same way, he says to wives of unbelieving husbands, submit not for 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 your husband's sake or society's sake, but for the Lord's sake. Submit not in fear of your husband, but in the fear of God, and as an act of devotion and worship to the Lord. Submit not by being a doormat, but by living good lives, so that, as Peter says, their husbands may be won over to Christ, without even a word, just based on their conduct, their behavior. Notice here that submission is not a call to be oppressed. Uh, It's not a call for these wives to see themselves as less than their husbands. It's a call to see themselves as who they are in Jesus above all else. You know, part of the challenge for us when we encounter a passage of Scripture like this is that our cultural understanding of something like submission, in this case, is actually foreign to the teaching of the Bible itself. For example, we think submission equals less than. Uh, But that's not the biblical understanding of submission. I read just a moment ago, for example, from Luke chapter 22, where Jesus himself submitted to the will of God the Father. And Jesus' submission to God the Father never, never diminishes his status as the Son of God. And so this idea of submission is confusing if we don't understand it in the context of what it means in Scripture. The idea of submission is also confusing, I think, because submission in the first century was rooted in the belief that women were inferior. But again, this is an understanding that's foreign and antithetical to the Bible and to the call of Jesus himself. In fact, what we see here in 1 Peter, in verse 7 of chapter 3, is that wives are affirmed as co-heirs of their husbands of the gracious gift of life. Women are affirmed, in other words, as equal image bearers and equal heirs in the kingdom. 
And again, what's true of these wives is true, I would say, uh, of all followers of Jesus. We submit first and above all to God, even as we submit to other authorities in our life, whether those are governing authorities or teachers, employers, church elders, pastors, one another, and here, in this specific case, wives to their husbands. And so none of these calls to submission ever implies inferiority. In fact, as it was for slaves, this letter would have been received as dignifying and empowering words for these wives. Now you may ask, well, why? How how could it be dignifying and empowering? Well, remember, these wives are being addressed directly by Peter in this letter. In their culture, this was not done. The fact that Peter addresses them at all communicated an uncommon dignity and respect to these women. Another thing is that they're being affirmed in their faith. They're being affirmed in their faith that they have in Jesus, which was different from the faith of their husbands. And so Peter's saying, look, your faith in Jesus, uh, I know it's not welcomed in the world around you or even in your homes or your circles of friends, but, but I want to affirm. I want to affirm your faith and, and just affirm the personal courage and commitment that you are demonstrating to Jesus because you're standing outside of your husband's religious tradition. And then Peter would have affirmed their mission. This is beautiful. He, he says, win over your husbands, right, to the faith in Jesus. You're a light for Christ in your own home to your husband. You don't have to take his religion like the culture says. In fact, live in such a way, he says, that your husbands will be won over to faith in Jesus. Again, incredibly empowering and dignifying. So even understanding all that, that context for the first century, I think it it comes to the question, but what does this mean for us today? Wives, submit to your husbands. Maybe we can see how it makes sense in the first century, but is it good, in other words, for marriages, uh, for men and women living in the 21st century? Now, this is actually a, a pretty debated question, this idea of wives submit to your husbands when it comes to our lives today and life in the church. And within the church, there's a diversity of understandings of this. And I would say even within our apostles' family, there's, there's a diversity of views. Some would say that Peter is dealing here with a specific cultural reality, in other words, that isn't really relevant Today, that, that this idea and this kind of circumstance is connected to the fallen world that the gospel actually encourages us to discard, to move away from. On the other hand, some would say that submission of a wife to her husband is actually part of God's created order for marriage, and that rightly understood wives submitting to their husbands is true for all marriages in all places and, and all times. And, and just to put my cards on the table, I fall into this latter category. In part because what I think Peter's connecting to is a tradition that, that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. It's, it's the testimony of Scripture. And it's rooted not in abuse or dishonoring women, but actually as a way to honor women because it honors Christ. It, it honors God because it offers a vision of marriage that, that's witnessed to in Genesis 2 and that Jesus himself affirms in Matthew 19. In fact, in Ephesians 5, Paul, uh, talking about this created order of marriage, uh, he talks about the fact that there are equal but distinct roles where there's a mutual submission, but that ultimately husbands uh, occupy a place of headship and responsibility in the marriage that's unique. And so this order that ultimately reflects the relationship between Christ and his bride is what Peter said is good, and that there's great blessing and grace to be found in this created order and marriage. What's more, it lines up with the call that we all have on our lives. 
We're all called to submit, including husbands. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Paul writes in Ephesians 5.21. And that's because biblical submission, again, is always honoring. It should always be loving and just. And so to submit is to yield voluntarily. It's a choice of the will, just like Jesus in the garden before his heavenly Father. It's, it's a choice of the will that's offered from a position of, of strength and dignity and freedom. To submit is relating and connecting to others in a way that honors God and enables uh, uh, people to flourish. It's not being a doormat, and it's not making others less than. And so again, as we said in the beginning, I think when we read passages like this, they ought to foster a just and loving way of life together. If they don't, they're not lining up with the character of God. And so that should be true here for husband and wife. This should lead to a just and loving way of living in marriage. Sadly, too often, this has not been the case. Great harm has been done to many sisters in Christ through the abuse of this teaching on submission. And I would just say to the men in our community, brothers, we need to repent. And we need to learn to love our sisters in Christ according to the teaching of God's word, the clear teaching of God's word. Men have too often sinned against God and and women by abusing this instruction. This does not speak to to all women's relationships to all men. it's, It's not intended to be misused and applied outside of marriage. This is a particular word that is speaking into a particular relationship and context. And we have to be careful. And we also need to speak and address the pain that's taken place in the church, that too many women have suffered under the abuse of domineering husbands. And that verses like this in 1 Peter and Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 have been terribly distorted by husbands and by teachers and by pastors to justify all kinds of abuse against women. The Bible's word for submission here, the word that the Lord has for us about submission, never legitimizes, let me just say that, never legitimizes domination or abuse in any relationship. We, the church, are to call husbands to account and provide support and refuge for any woman who has ever found herself in such circumstances. And so I just want to say to you this morning, if you're a woman that finds herself in such circumstances, if you're in that place, I just want to say that the Bible does not instruct you to suffer in silence. If anyone has ever told you that, that is not true, and it is not in line with the gospel. There is no place, no place for abuse in the church. Peter, having addressed this idea of submission, he he goes on to speak words of encouragement to to wives, uh, words that I think should encourage all of us. He says that we are all to submit first and ultimately to God himself, and that he calls all of us, wives included, to submit to the Lord, and that women in particular are to look to holy examples that he points to, like Sarah in the past, women who who knew who they were in Christ and who put their hope in God, and they lived in faithful submission to the Lord and to their husbands, faithfully pursuing, as he says, inner beauty over outer beauty. I've been thinking about this this week, and, and and really, I've been thinking about it as a father. You know, I have a daughter who's nine and going on 16. Maybe some of your parents can relate. And the other day, she and her mom were sitting up on, uh, on our bed, 
And they were painting their nails while uh, the boys and I were downstairs watching a movie. And, and at some point, she came downstairs, and she showed me uh, her nails, and they looked beautiful. And, and I just I remember looking at her and just thinking, she's such a beautiful little girl, and she'll be such a beautiful woman. And what really stood out to me is just the beauty that's within, the beauty within my daughter. And, and you know, I pray for her. I pray that she would live with a deep and abiding awareness and confidence that comes from knowing exactly who she is in Jesus. Uh, A confidence that comes from submitting to his authority and will for her life. I pray that she would know who she is so that she can live well in this life long after I'm gone. And so I I just want to say, as fathers and mothers, maybe in particular, but for all of us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, the church... The church ought to be a place for women to discover their beauty and their gifts and their worth in God's sight. For them to be encouraged and for them to be uh, equipped and empowered to live out God's call on their life. To be lights and to be missionaries wherever they are. Whether it's in the home or in society. In a world that's desperate for Jesus. And so Peter says to wives, he says, submit Submit to your unbelieving husbands out of fear of the Lord. Live holy lives. Live well and win them over for Christ. So Peter speaks first to wives. And then second, he speaks to husbands. And so I just want to take a few minutes and talk about what this looks like for husbands. He says this. He says, husbands, in the way, in the same way. So again, pointing back to that reverence of God and really under his authority. This is how we live. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So first, notice again that Peter says in the same way. Again, that's the same way that he addressed slaves and women, and now he speaks to husbands. It's for the Lord's sake and out of fear for the Lord that husbands are to live as followers of Jesus and are to be different kinds of husbands. They're they're to submit to Christ and be considerate and show their wives respect. Now, in the first century, husbands had unchecked power and authority. Within their own household, they were free to indulge in whatever desires or or appetites they experienced with their servants and with their wives. And so Peter is speaking a radically countercultural word that calls these husbands into a a different way of living, into God's intention for their marriage. Peter also says that husbands are to honor their wives as the weaker partner. Again, these kinds of words are, are difficult for us. And so let's, let's talk about what Peter actually means when he says this. Karen Jobes, in her great commentary on 1 Peter, I think explains this really well. This is what she says. She says, for Peter, the weaker partner is understood as physical weakness relative to men's strength. Therefore, Peter's exhortation actually addresses the issue of physical abuse in marriages. The immediate context also makes it clear that the female is the weaker in the sense of social empowerment. And so again, Peter is saying something revolutionary in his day. He's saying this to husbands. Look, be socially and culturally kind of sensitive to the fact that your wife is facing all kinds of challenges. She's susceptible to abuse. She's susceptible to being marginalized for the fact that she's a woman in her culture. 
And, and you need, as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, you need to live in a, a, a way that's in line with the kingdom, where this is not the case. Live in a way that honors her. This is another way that we live as foreigners and aliens, right, as exiles in the world. Husbands, don't be harsh, she says. Don't be physically abusive or socially domineering because you know that there are different standards in the kingdom than the standards around you in your culture. In other words, be like Christ, husbands. Care for your wife. Protect her. Honor her. She's an heir with you of the gracious gift of life in Christ, Peter says. She is your equal in Jesus. Peter then raises the stakes for husbands. He says, live in this way with your wife so that nothing hinders your prayers. Basically, if you won't listen to me on this, Peter says, then God's not going to listen to you. This is hugely important. God cares deeply, husbands, about the ways that we treat our wives. In a recent interview, uh, author Tom Holland, who has written significantly about history and kind of the development of women's rights, he argues actually that the Christian teaching about marriage in the New Testament slowly took over in the Roman world and limited the power and the lack of accountability uh, to men as the head of the household. In fact, he says it gave a level of dignity to women and their bodies that no other force No other force in history had ever done. And so even if our initial sensibilities, I think, are are kind of disturbed by some of the language here and and trying to get our heads around exactly what's going on in this letter, I think a historically honest and thoughtful approach recognizes that the progress experienced by women today in our world is largely indebted to these foundations, the gospel itself that actually affirms and empowers women women as followers of Jesus. And so Peter writes these words. Uh, He writes them for all of us, but he also writes them in particular for these wives and husbands living in the first century. But the words, I think, are true for us, and it's a call for us to live well, to do good, and and that even when those around us speak ill of our faith or mistreat us, that we, we live in such a way that our lives point to Jesus so that they can see the power of God in our lives and in our relationships. And so this is how we we live well. This is how we live well in a world that's broken and that we don't always have the power to change. And the truth is that when we live well in a broken world that we can't always change, it often requires us to suffer. I know that it's not what we like to think about when we think about God's good and perfect will for our life, but when we imagine the good and beautiful life in, in Jesus, it, it always includes deeper intimacy and knowledge of God. It includes his healing and his blessing, restored relationships, empowerment, and the gifts of the Spirit. It includes all these things. But Peter says, Peter says, sometimes God's will for your life, the, the call to live well, means that you will need to suffer well. It means that trusting God even when we don't understand our circumstances, even when we're in positions where we're feeling powerless, it means that we trust that he's in control, that his power over our lives will lead to his good purposes, even through our suffering. And so this is where Peter, I think, points us to Jesus. Going back to chapter 2, Peter says that we are called to suffer for doing good because Christ suffered for us in leaving us an example The Greek word for example implies the idea of something that can be be traced, 
right? So literally this past week, Langley got a big roll of paper, and our kids were having so much fun because they were laying down on the ground, and we were tracing around their bodies so that when they stood up, you could see an outline of of what they look like on the paper. And Peter is saying, in the same way, we're to trace our lives around the person of Jesus, that our life should look like the outline of Jesus Life and that we should follow in his steps. We should walk where he walked. We should, we should follow Jesus in such a way that our life shows the freedom and the dignity that is in Christ, even in a world that oppressed him and rejected him. And so his life is a powerful example of goodness and love, and we are called to follow in his way, even if that means suffering. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he, he must take up his cross and follow me. Jesus' heart was different. Jesus was not embittered. He wasn't enslaved to anger. He wasn't seeking revenge. He wasn't uh, feeling hate for his enemies, not hating those who opposed him or even seek to oppress him as he sought justice. He wasn't like us, and we're called to be like him. For Jesus, this was all about showing humility and honoring Others And so even in this life, when things are hard, when we have to suffer, we follow in his footsteps because we, we've entrusted ourselves to the Lord. We do what Jesus did. In this life, we have to remember that there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day when justice prevails, when Jesus will return and he'll make all things right and all things new and we'll live with him for eternity. But for now, we pursue justice, we suffer well, we let his example of a gentle and quiet and loving spirit be evident to all. We show proper submission for the Lord's sake. And even when we are mistreated, we know that God will be honored in our life because of our willingness even to suffer. The only way we can do this, the only way we can live this way, live well, is if we know who we are. We are chosen exiles. We're we're a people set apart who receive mercy and can show mercy. We, We know who we are. And so we know then how to live. We live in the way of Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so when Peter says submit, when he says submit, he's saying submit for all of us. He's saying submit to the Lord no matter who you are or what you're facing. He's saying submit to the way of Jesus because there's nothing more good and beautiful and dignifying than submitting to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you and we ask that you would teach all of us what it means to submit to you. And Lord, I pray especially for for those who are married in our community, wives and husbands. I pray especially for those wives who are married to husbands that don't know you. And Lord, I just pray a special just measure of your grace and your tenderness over those wives. Lord, as they seek to win their husbands to Jesus by the way they love their husbands. And Lord, I pray for all wives and husbands that you would help us to honor you by the way that we we live life together as we submit to one another, as we live into the created order that you have for marriage, and as we submit to you as our Lord and our Savior. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would walk in submission to you as our King, that people might look at our lives and see the power of God and be drawn to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.